Thanks for joining me for another edition of Business and Legal Q&A Live. I'm your host, Peter Lamont. We went with a new intro today that's going to correspond with our new video intro. So check that out over on YouTube. And when we edit the live portion of this broadcast today, you'll see that new intro being used. So we uh, have changed it up a bit to keep it interesting and done away with the voiceover intro and uh, decided we would go with that new one. So let me know what you think about that. I always love to hear people's feedback on what we're doing. So today we are going to conclude our three-part series on buying and selling residential real estate. Now last week we talked about um, the idea of looking for a property and deciding to purchase a home and when, so do you need an attorney? So we looked at the pros and cons of an attorney, when you need one, uh, where you should look for one, that sort of thing. And then we moved into the second part, which talked about home inspection. What was the the you know the idea of a home inspection? Why do you need one? Is it important? All those those questions. So that's what we talked about last week. Today we are going to go and discuss uh, another question. And this question is: Can you provide me with the basics of a residential home closing? I'm a first-time home buyer and have no idea what's going to happen. So we're going to take a look at that question and do our best to answer that by giving you a real overview of the closing process for residential real estate. Now, there's going to be a lot of things that we could go off into and talk for a half an hour about certain things like a title search or title insurance. But today I'm just going to give you the overview so that if you are a first-time home buyer or seller, um, you know, I, I don't know how that would maybe you inherited the home, and so this now you're selling it, and this is the first time you're going to deal with an actual real closing. However, it might come about that it has landed on your lap that you are going to be a first-time home closer. I want to give you an overview of the process so that you get a general sense of how it works. And then beyond that, if you're interested in learning more, just send me a message, and we'll do some additional videos concerning those very separate segments of the real estate closing. So before we get going, I just want to thank today's sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by Audible. Audible, as you know, is the world's leading provider of audiobooks on the Internet. And I use Audible all the time because it's just so difficult to sit down and find the time to read as many books as I would like to get through in, you know, on a monthly basis. I like to try to group my reading by month. And it's just not enough time in the day, not enough time to do work, to get things done around the house, to spend time with the family. And um, so if I'm reading for leisure, that's one thing. But if I'm reading for business or to get through a book, I love Audible. Audible allows me to just play the book in my car, play it at home, play it while I'm in the shower. And before you know it, I'm able to move through books quite quickly. Audible provides all of our listeners with an exclusive deal. You get a free audiobook. There are no strings attached. You don't have to join them. 
Um, all you have to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash UTL radio to claim your free book. So I encourage you to do that. It's a free book, and um, you can't beat free, right? Also, I want to remind you to check out utlradio.com. It was updated in the last few weeks. We've included some cool features, including the Ask Your Question tab, which allows you to record your question directly into your computer, and then we will receive notification of it and be able to play your question during our live show. So instead of me having to read the question, it just adds a nice dimension to it. So um, I encourage you to do that. I know most of you out there are still submitting questions via Facebook or Twitter or posting um, on YouTube here or on Blog Talk Radio, and that's great, and I encourage you to do that. But don't be afraid to check out the Ask Your Question tab on utlradio.com. It could be fun and just spice up the show a bit, so that's a good thing. All right, let's get into today's topic. Now, I want to explain the idea of this closing process because it sounds very, very mysterious. A closing, what does that mean? And when you think about a closing, my mind at least automatically goes to some of these um, shows that I've watched, either real estate shows or maybe it's some drama and you, you go to the closing and there's all these people and there's this massive table and you're in this conference room and all this, this stuff is going on. Uh, some of it's true. Some of it's not true. And I just want to explain what's real, what's not real, what you need to know. All right. So let's start from the beginning. Now, let's assume that you have met with a broker and you have found the property of your dreams and now you're ready to put an offer on that property. So the way that the process kicks off is by you extending an offer to the seller. So for simple purposes, let's just assume that the house is $300,000 or $200,000. And the offer that you're going to make is, let's say it's a $200,000 house, your offer is going to be $190,000. So that's the offer you're going to submit to the seller, and that is written up by the real estate broker. Now, in order to convey that offer, there is, generally speaking, always the need for the purchaser to put down a deposit. It's a good faith deposit, generally in the area of $1,000. So you pay to your broker $1,000. They hold that check. They don't do anything with it. They don't cash it. They don't do anything with it. They hold it, and um, they then submit. They write up the offer and submit it to the seller. Now, if the seller approves your offer, then you're good to go into the next phase. If the seller does not approve your offer, he might counter with another offer. So in our $200,000 house example, where you've offered $190,000, the seller comes back at you and says, no, but I'll do it for $195,000. And now you meet with the realtor, and the realtor says, listen, it's five you know, grand more. Do you want to do it? You really like the house. There's not a house like this on the market. So you say, yes, yeah, sure. Okay, so now you're committed to 195000 And when I say committed, what do I mean by that? Well, the next step is that once your seller has accepted your offer or countered and you have then accepted the counter, you now have the basis for a formal and enforceable legally binding contract for the sale of real estate. All right, now you've got this contract signed. Now what? 
you don't know what, what the contract really says. I mean, you can read the words, and maybe you've had some experience with real estate contracts. They're generally standard agreements. But are you really well-versed in contingencies and how to protect yourself? And what happens if you can't get a mortgage? Or what happens if there's issues during the home inspection? Generally speaking, you know, unless you are a real estate attorney, you're not going to pick up on those small nuances that might present problems for you down the line. And that is why we talked about the importance of having a real estate attorney. Because once you have approved the counter or once the sale has been approved, now you have a three-day attorney review period. Okay, Typically, because I know this question comes up a bit, Sundays do not count in the attorney review process. So if you sign a contract on Friday and you know, you're thinking, oh, no, how am I going to get an attorney to, to review this by Sunday? Sundays generally do not count. Now, what does all this mean, this attorney review? <clears throat> so you've got this three-day period to have an attorney review the contract and to make sure that it's fair. Okay, You don't want a contract that's so one-sided for the seller that you have all these obligations to fulfill. What if you can't do it? What if you can't make those commitments? What if you can't get a mortgage and there's not a proper mortgage contingency clause in the contract? Or, again, with the home inspection issues, what if there's major problems and now you decide to back out of the deal? So, during the three-day attorney review period, which, by the way, can be extended between attorneys. So, the seller's attorney and the buyer's attorney might agree to extend another two or three days on the contract review. That's okay, but it's got to be something that is mutually agreed upon and, as far as I'm concerned, must be writing, but that's just... I'm anal retentive with things like that. So I would want it in writing to make sure that my client's protected, that I'm protected. So let's assume standard three-day period. The attorney receives the contract and now begins to pour through it to review the terms and conditions to determine whether or not they're fair for you. And I would say 95 to 99% of the time, there will always be something that needs to be modified, always. I mean, in all of the closings that my office has done, there has never been one contract that was acceptable on its face. And even if it's something minor or tightening up the contingency language, there's always something. So the attorney will submit a letter to the other side and say, we reject the following terms and conditions of the contract. And maybe it's because there's not a contingency clause for home inspection. So perhaps your contract reads that you'll be entitled to a home inspection, period. All right, that's great, but that doesn't say that in the event that the home inspection produces negative results, you could back out. It doesn't address that. So you would have your attorney send a letter to the other side with all these rejected clauses or suggested changes. And then the attorneys would go back and forth to negotiate the contract that actually makes sense for you, not the stock contract that came out of the realtor's office. Because generally speaking, they all use the same contract. But it's not meant for you. It's meant for everybody. 
So you tailor it to meet your needs, your requirements. That's why your attorney is there. Your attorney can start that negotiation process, and you conclude with a signed and formalized, ready-to-go contract. Okay? So now that that's out of the way, what happens? Well, I have a timeline that I've prepared, and I'm going to post a link to it. Uh, we're going to put it up on the blog later on today, and I'm going to post a link to it so that you can see it. Once the initial contract review stuff is over, you're going to move into that next phase where you want to have the home inspector come in, and you want to have the home inspector review the house. At the same time, you also need to get a mortgage in place. Sometimes you might be pre-approved for a mortgage, and if you're pre-approved, that's a very easy uh, situation because now you just take your pre-approval letter and you submit it to your attorney who turns it over to the other side, and you're, you're pretty much good to go. Most of us, though, do not get pre-approvals, and you have to go and try to get a mortgage at the same time that you're doing a lot of these other activities. So you'd want to prepare with your, your lender, with a broker, a mortgage broker, your mortgage application, or if you're going to a private bank or, you know, whoever. I have seen so many different variations of lending, lending from family members and friends, lending with, you know, these open-ended clauses just because it is a family member, uh, very strict lending requirements from uh, banks back, you know, maybe 15 years ago, 10 years ago. There was a lot of predatory lending going on, and so I saw a lot of very fraudulent mortgage um, agreements being made where people were actually you know, now losing their houses because of the agreements that they signed with the mortgage broker. I've seen it all, and there's all these different variations out there, but you really need to have some guidance. I would recommend that you go with somebody that you know, go to a bank, or if you need further assistance, check out a mortgage broker. But you also have the attorney who's helping you with the closing who can help you look at some of the mortgage documents as well. And that's important because you might want a second set of eyes on what you're doing. Now, you're preparing your mortgage application, right, or your broker is, and you're getting all that together. Now you've got the home inspection. And remember what we talked about last week, the importance of that home inspection. What happens if the home inspector identifies issues that are going to require a lot of money to fix. So let's go through some of the typical ones. All right, your, all your windows need to be replaced. They're not good windows. What if you're buying property in a hurricane area? You know, you're in Florida. You're in North Carolina, South Carolina. Hurricanes, and your windows are not hurricane-proof. That might be an issue because how much does it cost to replace your windows? It could be over $10,000 to replace a full set of windows, obviously depending upon the size of the house. What if your roof needs repair? What if there are shingles missing or a leak identified in the roof? Roofs are extremely expensive. $15,000 to replace a roof. Now, if you remember last week when we talked about that family that purchased the home and had sunken all their life savings into that home, you'll remember that I said they had no money to make those monumental repairs at that time. They could not make repairs that were more than $1,000 because $1,000 was going towards the cleaning budget and that sort of thing for the house, paint. So it's really important you understand the extreme value 
in hiring a proper home inspector because when they identify issues, that report goes to you, which you give to your attorney, and then your attorney can say, all right, Sally, you're going to be buying this house. We have the contract signed and negotiated. We've included a home inspection contingency clause. Now look at your home inspection report. Your guy has identified major issues that are going to cost you upwards of $30,000 to repair. What do you want to do? And Sally says, I don't have $30,000. Well, what can I do? So the attorney says, listen, let's try this. I'm going to go back to the seller, and I'm going to say to the seller, look, she wants the house, but she cannot take the house in the condition because in the condition you're selling it, what you have it listed for, what you have it priced at, that's not fair. That's not fair market value when you need all these repairs done. If your house was in the condition advertised or stated, that's a different story. But there are all these latent defects, all these things wrong with the house that are going to require a lot of money. So we want a $30,000 credit at the time of closing so that $30,000 credit can be used to make those repairs. Seller says, absolutely not. No way. It's not going to cost you $30,000 to make those repairs. Okay, the attorney turns around and says, then I'd like you to make the repairs. Well, the guy thinks to himself, the seller, yeah, you know, I could probably make these repairs. I've got a buddy that does roofing. I could probably make them for a lot cheaper than the $30,000 estimate that the purchaser obtained. So I'm going to go for it. Okay, fine. So now you agree to that contingency, and then they make the repairs. And then, of course, you have an opportunity later on, which we'll talk about in a second, to go back and to re-inspect the property. But uh, for all intents and purposes, understand the value of the home inspection and then conveying the report to your attorney so that he or she can negotiate and make sure that the price is fair. All right, all that being said, there are times when you don't have to do anything with the home inspection report. Let's say it's relatively new construction, something that you moved into or that you're you know, going to be looking to purchase and, and the seller had only moved into it to a year ago. It was built for them. You might have no issues. There might be nothing wrong with the house. That does happen. I've had a couple of them recently where there's been absolutely nothing wrong with the house and the home inspection report said the house is in perfect condition. So that does happen. All right. Now, after you negotiate those credits for the home repair or you have you need to start having the title work prepared now the title work ordering title what it really means is that you're going to go to a title agent who is going to pull and your attorney is going to work with this title agent and prepare all the documentation they are going to pull all of the prior ownership paperwork because what they want to do is they want to make sure that the seller really owns the property and that there are no liens or encumbrances on the property that would prevent you, the purchaser, from taking possession of the property. Now, you'd say to yourself, well, what do you mean, title issues? I own the house. I'm the seller. I know I own the house. Why would there be title issues? I have seen it so often lately where you, the seller, had previously purchased that house from somebody else, the title work wasn't done right, and you find out that the title's not clear. It transferred from an estate to you, but there were issues with the title. 
or it transferred from a family member, and that family member is somehow still on the title. So there are plenty of times when the title work is not done properly, and you need to make modifications. So that's the purpose of the title work. Um, maybe there is an underground wire, pipe, electrical system running under your backyard that you don't know about, but there is an agreement, an easement uh, provided to, let's say it's a church or a facility down the street, whatever it might be, and now you need to know when you're purchasing a property that they have an easement in your backyard with respect to their power lines. What does an easement mean? Well, it means that they have the right to, under certain circumstances, go in and make repairs and that sort of thing, even though it's your property. Uh, you're essentially giving them the permission or the right to use that you know area where they have their wires. In addition to the title work being done, you are going to be required to obtain, through the title company, title insurance. What is title insurance? Well, let's say the title company clears you. Let's say that um, there's no issue that they can identify, and then following the closing... Someone comes forward with documentation and says, wait a minute, that's my house. I saw a show not too long ago, maybe it was on 2020 or something like that, where um, somebody bought a house and then they realized that they had bought the house through a whole completely fraudulent transaction. The real estate broker was a crook and they didn't own that house. They didn't, I mean, they, they put all the documents together. It looked like they owned it, but they actually didn't own it. And what happened and... You know, so that's the importance of title insurance because if the title company clears the title and then later on there is an issue following the closing, they need to have insurance to protect what they did. Okay, And that's going to be required by mortgage company and lender. They're going to want to see all this as well. Now, once that's done, once all that's ordered, right, you're going to have to have a property survey done so that you can determine the exact dimensions and property boundaries. And you're going to need someone to come out and survey that. Then they give you a survey certification, which identifies the bounds of your property. That's going to be required by the mortgage company. All these things I'm talking about are bare-bone requirements that must be met. And on top of that, you're going to then review the title work that came back, and your attorney does that. Your attorney sits down and reviews the title. Why is that important? Well, adjacent structures, garages, or other uh, sheds, or other pieces of a property which you thought was part of the property you were buying or selling, and it turns out that it's not. So that's important to have a qualified attorney review the title work with the title agent and make sure that you know exactly what you're getting. Now, after that, you're going to move into, hopefully your loan approval phase where your mortgage lender is going to be finalizing their own set of very comprehensive documents. Remember, mortgage is a secured loan. They have a secured right. It's not like a credit card where that's an unsecured lender and that's easily wiped out. I don't want to say easy, but quote-unquote easily wiped out in the bankruptcy, whereas a secured transaction is more difficult they have the right to obviously foreclose on the house. So uh, a um, keep bumping into the mic today. Uh, they have this, this greater vested interest in you 
because it's a huge commitment, a huge loan that they're providing you, okay? And you're going to look at that mortgage paperwork, especially the mortgage commitment to make sure that it qualifies, that it meets what it is that, you know, the contract calls for. Do you have a commitment from the lender saying, absolutely, yes, you will get this loan? Uh, because that's going to be important for moving the process forward. Then you're also going to have to have insurance, property insurance. You're going to need to obtain homeowner's insurance because the lender will not provide you with the loan until they can guarantee that their investment is insured. Now, you can do that a variety of ways. You can go out and get your own insurance and then prove to them, because like, let's say you use a company like Progressive or something, where uh, you're going to bundle your coverages and you want to be able to get a discount on your automobile coverage and something else and you want to bundle it with your homeowners. You can do that as long as you provide them proof. Other, oftentimes, the, the mortgage company will say to you, if you want, we can get homeowners for you because they work with all these groups of people that you know make it easier, easier, quote-unquote easier, for you. But, I mean, look, you can do it. You absolutely can go to the, the mortgage lender as well and, and, and go with their recommendation. It's a company that they've worked with. Um, quite surely there is some sort of reciprocation that goes on there. Uh, don't just recommend people for the fun of it. So, But however you do it, you're going to need to get that homeowner's insurance. Then you're going to have the closing date set, and that's when the magic happens because right before the closing – your attorney is going to prepare all of the documentation in conjunction with the title agent and all the other people that have come together to make this sale happen. You're going to have to have the the HUD-1, the Housing and Urban Development Statement, HUD-1, where it provides a breakout of all the monies being exchanged at the time of the closing. Um, the distributions, who's getting what, you know, where the money is going, um, and, and you know so on and so forth. One thing I forgot to mention, and I, I've been trying to stick to my timeline, one thing I forgot to mention is that at some point during this process, you are going to be required to make your deposit of your down payment into an escrow account that's held by the attorneys. And the escrow account will be released at the time of closing. So some people will have all the closing costs paid by the seller. And therefore, at the time of closing, the seller is going to get a credit. Um, or sometimes, you know, you have a large down payment, $30,000, $40,000 down payment, and, and that's got to be identified. That goes on the HUD as well so that you can sort of just keep track of all the money. Um, you're at that point. I've seen it done recent years Right before the closing, a follow-up second home inspection. Now, it's not a home inspection necessarily with a home inspector. It's oftentimes a walkthrough by the purchaser. And what you would be surprised is sometimes you'll go into a house and you'll realize that the seller still has half their stuff there and you're supposed to take possession of that property tomorrow at the closing. So that's an issue. And that's something that has to be worked out at the time of closing where your attorney says, hey, listen, your people have to get their stuff out. Other times you might go in and find that work that was said to be done was not done or work that was done was done very, very um, shoddy workmanship. 
on some of these projects, and that's an issue. That is something that you would have your attorney discuss. But more often than not, when you do your final walkthrough, you're going to find everything in order, and you're going to feel ready and confident that you've made a good investment to move in. So now that that final walkthrough is done, now you're going to actually sit down, you're going to go to the closing. Now when I say go to the closing, there are a lot of people now who are choosing not to physically appear at the closing, but to give a power of attorney to their attorney and say, you handle the processing of all the fees and closing uh, documents and just call me when it's done. That happens a lot recently. People are busy, and especially if you're making transactions from out of state, you don't want to have to show up for a closing. A closing is really a, um, a simple process. And when I say closing, I'm talking about the closing day, because what you're going to do is you're going to sign papers. And if your hands cramp easily, you better start exercising them, because the day of the closing, you're going to be signing and signing and signing and signing. And if you've got questions, your attorney can explain the documents to you. But typically speaking, that's something that's done before the closing. So you kind of know, all right, look, here's what this is, here's what that is. And if you are going to, to not be attending the closing, oftentimes attorneys will have you come into their office to sign certain documents beforehand. And that way it gives them an opportunity to explain to you exactly what these documents are saying. Now, if you're a traditionalist and you go to the closing... You will sit down at the table. You'll be with the seller's attorney. Sometimes the sellers show up. Sometimes they don't. Uh, let's assume it's a full house today. You're going to have the sellers. You're going to have the seller's attorney. You're going to have yourself, your attorney. And generally, the brokers always show up. Why? Because they want to get their checks, their commission checks. So you'll have the seller's broker and your broker, generally speaking, in attendance. Uh, some some brokers don't mind. They'll just get their check when it's sent out to them. You know, it's personal preference. But that's the full house scenario where you've got everybody on board. After you execute the documents, you get the keys. Your attorney has to do the follow-up steps that are required, sending out the checks, making sure that everyone gets copied on certain documents, and then they will ultimately provide you with a packet of closing documents sent to your home, that have, has everything in it that you know was part of your process. Now, hopefully, I didn't confuse anybody, and that was a, a generally basic overview of the closing process, but that it explains to you how it works. So let's get to some additional questions that always arise. And one of them is, how long does a typical home closing take? And I've seen it happen as quickly as a few weeks when everything is in order, and I've also seen it take over six months. So, you know, the average is somewhere within 30 to 60 days, average. But a lot's going to depend on the condition of the property, the willingness of the parties to agree. You could have the parties disagreeing for two weeks on credits issued or credits requested on, uh, or after a home inspection report was prepared. You could be fighting with the seller for two weeks because the seller says, no, nah, I don't believe that. I'm going to go check that out. I want somebody to come in and inspect it myself, and then I'll make that determination if I'm going to give you a credit or fix it. So it, it's not something that is um, a deadline that you can pin down. 
It really depends because now if you've got on the on the other end of the spectrum, seller and buyer who just want to get this deal done and they're going to be paying all cash and they want to close in a week, it can happen. You know, 30 days, it can happen. It just depends. But I would say on average 30, 60 days, maybe 90 days, somewhere in that range if everything goes smoothly. Um, you know, the, the more cooperation everybody provides to one another, the easier it is. That is the overview of the closing process, and that's how it works uh, for most of the country. Again, remember we talked about some states or sections of states where you don't typically get an attorney for a closing, but here on the East Coast you definitely do, and other states throughout the country, um, you know, you, you do want an attorney to help you with some of the things because a broker or non-attorney closing agent cannot engage in the unauthorized practice of law, which could involve negotiation of contracts and looking at various language in the contracts and contingencies and that sort of thing. So that's just something to keep in mind. But that's it in a nutshell. That's how it works. It is a complicated process for the attorney because they want to make sure, if they're a good attorney, they want to make sure that you, their client, are being protected. You're being protected, right? So even if you were to use an attorney who was recommended to you by a real estate broker, understand that that attorney has an ethical obligation to you as the client. The real estate broker is not the attorney's client. You are. You sign an engagement letter or retainer agreement with the attorney. You're the client, and they have to protect you. So that's important to note because it's not just an extension of the brokerage firm, or it shouldn't be. And I know that there are people out there that attorneys or brokers that really don't care about quality. They just want to make the sale. So they'll hire an attorney or, or recommend that you hire an attorney who will just push the sale along. And that is terrible. Terrible. You want to make sure that somebody is there to protect you. That doesn't mean to bust up your deal, but Maybe that's what has to happen. Maybe you're going to be making such a monumental mistake purchasing a property that the attorney says to you, listen, you do what you want. I'm your attorney. I'll do what you have asked me to do. But please understand, I would not recommend that this purchase go through. Here's why. That's what you want, though, isn't it? Do you want to step into a house that has all sorts of, of problems, title issues, repair work? I mean, I, I would say you don't. So... That's why, um, again, it's important to have the attorney on board to help you. That is going to do it for today's show. If you're watching live on YouTube, um, my eyes are a little squinty today because allergies. Past couple of days, man, the tree pollen has gone crazy here on the East Coast. And, uh, ooh, my, my eyes are watery all day long. So while I am thrilled that spring is finally here, as I complained about winter all winter, um, now I've got to deal with tree pollen allergies, but I would take that over shoveling, you know, 12 inches of snow. So, all right, that's going to do it. I encourage you to go back to last week's show. If you missed any of them, there were two prior shows, one of them dealing with, do you need an attorney for the real estate transactions? The second one dealing with home inspections. If you've missed those, I encourage you to go back. You can check them out on YouTube or go back to Blog Talk Radio and download it or obviously on iTunes as well 
but it's important for you to kind of get the full picture of what I've been talking about today. I, I hope that I was able to wrap up and summarize the whole process for you and to connect the dots between what we were talking about last week and the final closing process. So that is going to do it for today. If you have questions about the closing process, about selecting an attorney, about what you need to do as a seller or buyer, don't hesitate to reach out. Obviously, you can connect to it with us on um, YouTube. Just drop your comment. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. And all our links to social media are on utlradio.com on the upper right-hand corner. You can go to the website and get an email address and, and communicate with us directly. If you'd like more information or more videos about specific topics, please again let me know. And finally, I would like to thank everyone, including our new subscribers on YouTube, for watching, listening, participating, for providing your comments and feedback. It's really important, and I really do appreciate all of the kind words that we receive. It means a lot to know that there's people out there who are benefiting from some of the information that I'm providing. And it, it just it really does. I mean, don't think that, oh, I leave a comment, he doesn't see it, or nobody responds. I try to respond to every comment. But even if, for some reason, I can't get to it, know that I've looked at it and that I really deeply appreciate your support and your continued participation with what we're doing here. All right, that is going to do it for today. I will be back later in the week with some additional business and legal Q&A sessions, as well as a makeup for our Understanding the Law Week in Review, which due to scheduling issues uh, was not broadcast yesterday, but we're going to get to that later in the week. Thanks again. Everybody have a great day out there, and remember that there's power in understanding the law. prepaid Visa gift card by mail with the purchase of a Napa Legend Premium Battery. Its durability and power make it the obvious choice for people who hate getting stranded by a dead car battery. So pretty much everyone. The Napa Legend Premium Battery and $20 back. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care Centers. Limit two per household while supplies last. Offer ends 228 19